Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Secondhand Sports. I am your co-host, Zach Schwartzenberg. Um, we've very special guest today, Zach Von Rosenberg from the LSU Tigers. Sat down with an interview via Zoom with him. We talk about the 2019 season and his past playing at LSU. Talk a little bit about his baseball career and um, the big chunk of it is previewing Alabama coming up for tomorrow. I guess if this is out on Friday, it'll be tomorrow. Uh, biggest game of the year for LSU. So we go into that a lot um, for his interview. And then after his interview, we do Matthew and I do a little bit of Saints uh, recap of the current state of Saints football. So <laughs> with that, I'll toss it over to our interview with ZVR. We appreciate him coming on. We, I think it was a great interview. Um, first interview we've done in a while too. So we're a little rusty on that end of it, but um, you know, we had a great conversation with him and had a good time talking. So um, thank you all for listening. We appreciate each and every single one of y'all and we surely hope you enjoy. Whoosh. All right, we welcome on a very special guest. Our first names start with Zach, and our last names end with Berg. It is Zach Von mm-hmm. Rosenberg, the national champion uh, punter from the LSU Tigers. Zach, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Zach, I appreciate you having me, and, and Matthew <laughs> as well. Uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be, uh, you know, it's only three years removed from a national championship, but uh, I think... Uh, you know, I think that'll that'll keep me around a long time trying to talk to people <laughs> yeah. and get to go to events and reunions and all this stuff. And uh, uh, we've even had this already with certain. Uh, I'm going to an event tomorrow at Mike Anderson's to meet with a bunch of LSU alumni. Uh, there you go. I'm, I'm glad I did this. I actually forgot about that. I have it a, a reminder <laughs> on my phone. But having this interview and and that coming up on mine reminded me I need to be at Mike Anderson's tomorrow. Yeah. So that's perfect. There you go. There you go. And that's go. that was my first question. And I've always wanted to ask like a national champion winner or a Super Bowl winner, like how does it feel when your days removed, like five or six days after you're walking around in Baton Rouge? Because we know how Baton Rouge is, and you're like, yeah, I won a national championship for you guys, like because fans always say we won. You know, LSU fans, we won the national championship. You were on that team. You contributed. You won the national championship. How does that feel walking around Baton Rouge? Like, yeah, we did that. I mean, it was it was a surreal deal for a while. Um, it really didn't hit me because things were going so fast paced for like two weeks uh, in terms of events. We went to the White House. We had the uh, the parade. It was so fast. You couldn't really stop and smell the roses and relax for like two weeks after winning, which is a great thing, right? Yeah. But once you finally <laughs> – Oh, yeah. You look around. You sit up and look around. You're like, we, we, we did it. Like, we won the whole damn thing. We went from not being able to beat Alabama for seven, eight years, and all of a sudden we're 15-0, arguably the greatest team ever. Like a surreal experience. You walk around anywhere in Baton Rouge, Rouse's, any of these grocery stores, and it's like a, a buzz, if you will. Um of emotion and, and uh, the excitement was not only was it there the entire season, but it was overwhelming when you win. Yeah. And unfortunately for us, it was a little bit short lived uh, because COVID kind of, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of interrupted the celebration a little bit. Otherwise I think it would have been even more crazy going into the next season. Yeah. But the, the world apparently to everybody else, the world, everybody thought the world was ending and it wasn't, but yeah, uh, it put a damper on oh, the yeah. celebration. For sure. I was always so yeah. glad thinking back to that season two, like we really dodged a bullet having the season end and then COVID hitting because the way they shut down everything, I was like, man, if, if COVID was three months earlier, they might've just ended that whole season. And like, there goes the run because that was, yeah, crazy timing for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, it had it, had it happened earlier. I mean, do they really cancel the national championship game? And I think right. they do because of how crazed everybody was over it. But you know, yeah. oh yeah, hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty now. Now the, the rose colored glasses are, you know, whatever that was is over <laughs> with, and we've moved on. But it it, it it put a damper on my season. So if you can't tell, I'm a little bit bitter because my <laughs> senior day, I only got to be in front of about twenty thousand people, 
yeah. not get the full Tiger Stadium experience is just kind of a, a sad deal uh, personally. But you know, it is what it is. I, everybody had to deal with that, so I wasn't exclusive to the to the the issue uh, yeah. that was COVID. Going back to uh, and you said it earlier. You teed up my next question. When you're going into that 2019 season, I'm always curious about when did the team kind of feel like they knew they could beat Alabama that year? Because as LSU fans, we judge LSU teams, we tend to judge them by, can you beat Alabama? We did it last year. And so it was like, okay, this season was a success. You know, Brian Kelly's tenure starts off on a good foot because we beat Alabama. Was there a certain point? in that season where y'all were like, okay, wait, like we can actually do this, you know? Um, I, I would say when we were pretty much unstoppable, but against everybody, but Auburn, um, I mean, the Texas game, I knew we were, we were for real for lack of a better term. Cause that was a healthy Texas team. And their, their end of the season record, they not reflect that team because mm-hmm. I think that team was a one or two loss team. And I think they ended up losing four, maybe even five that year. But they had they dealt with a lot of injuries after our game, and they dealt with a lot of injuries in our game. So I would oh, yeah. say it was, it was after the Texas game in Austin when we kind of just did what we wanted to at will. In any clutch situation, we uh, we kind of made it happen. Uh, you know, the Justin Jefferson touchdown in crunch time, and um, you know it, it it all came together for us. And I want to say I, I want to be cocky and say I knew in preseason. Right, but I'll tell a story. I'll tell yeah, yeah. I'll tell a story because you know, and there had been previous years where our offense moved well, well at, at like at you know at camp at, at fall camp right before the season started. But but we were absolutely carving up our defense at at fall camp that year. I remember the first. I don't want to be like statistician of practice, but I want to say the first seven drives Joe had that fall camp, he had seven touchdowns in a row. Or something like that, like you know, just absolutely torching uh, our our defense with Joe Brady and everybody. I was like, damn. I was like, you know, I told the guys around me, I was like, we're pretty damn good. Like, we're not even, you know, we're not even getting to third down. Like, that, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah. How, that's yeah, how good we were. I was like, we're not even getting to third down against our defense. And I, I mean, we got Patrick Queen, we got right, Thingley, was... we got we got some dudes. Like, we're yeah. not getting to third down. I mean, and then obviously they they kind of figured it out and started playing a little better against us, but that was when I, you know, really was first, like, you know what, we're, we're going to be better than we were last year. And we were, we, you know, we, we won, um, the Fiesta bowl, uh, oh, yeah. but it really set in stone and solidified after we went to Austin, uh, and they put our fans in, in BFE in the state. you know, I'm still bitter about that too, because that was ridiculous. I want to take oh, yeah. my family after the game and they're, they're in this, I don't even know where they were. They're in the, they're in the shadow realm. They're in the shadow realm up there. And, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, but yeah, we won there, played a great game, and that was when I was like, "We're for real," and I hope we can. Uh, I thought uh, us as a one-loss team could get in, but I just didn't want that one loss to be to Alabama. But I, again, I knew then that we had a shot to be to beat Bama then, and I, I just knew we needed to play like we had played against Texas. Yeah, that was an exciting game too. That Texas game was awesome. Yeah, that um, that Texas game. Go ahead, Matt. You know, that, that Texas game, that's like when I knew, hey, we're going to be – after that pass, Justin Jefferson, I said, we're going to be so good this year. We'll be really, um, really good. Matt, do you have any questions? I, mine are more about current stuff. So, I don't know. Matt, do you have any questions about that? I do. So, so, so Zach, you, you were born in Lake Charles, right? I was. I was born in Lake Charles. There was. Women's Hospital oh. in Lake Charles on Nelson Road, right? Mm-hmm. So that's yep. that's where we were all born too. So we're, yeah, me, yeah. me and Zach both from Lake Charles. So you played at Barp as a freshman, and you won a yep. state championship. And then after Hurricane Rita, you went to Zachary. You had, you had to tra- you had to transfer to Zachary. So what was that like at that time? I, I guess going from like your your, trans- your transition from playing at Barb and then going to Zachary and playing over there. Uh, you know, I, being from Lake Charles and, you know, it was my hometown, obviously it was, a, it was a very difficult experience and it was a hard time in my life. Um, and I, I was able to, to overcome that because Barb is like the school of, of Louisiana in terms of baseball. Uh, oh, yeah. and I grew up in that environment through and through my entire life. I mean, I did live a little bit in Oklahoma, uh, after I was born because my dad was in the military. Um, but I mean, I live my 
13 out of my first 15 years of life in Lake Charles. And uh, it was home. And so once I got to Zachary, it was a culture shock. I mean, there was, you know, my uh, my my press box at Zachary High School. My first year was a deer stand. So uh, <laughs> oh wow, yeah, it was a whole different ball ball game uh, at Zachary. But when I got there, we had some, you know, for lack of a better word, we had some dogs. We had some dudes I could play. I mean, we had four guys play professional baseball on my 2017. Um, uh, not any guy, anybody that's relevant to Lake Charles, but you know, Brandon Everson and Brandon Barrow, I did, and we had one other guy, uh, Taylor Gilbo. Uh, all play in and uh, major league baseball, and that was it. Was, it was like a, that was also a shock to me. Like, you know, I leave Barb. Everybody knows Barb. Barb is nationally recognized. It has all this, you know, hype. And then we went to Zachary. That didn't have that. They hadn't won a state championship in, since the fifties or sixties. And two thousand seven, we won a state championship in baseball. Two thousand eight, we won a state championship in baseball. After those, after the first state championship, we got an indoor facility that was just like Barb's. Um, oh, wow. So you know, once you start winning, things happen. But but Zachary's an independent school district, so it has you know the money to do some of these things that other schools don't or did. Everybody's trying kind of catching up now. But at the time, Zachary was well ahead of its time in terms of funding for for athletics. Um, right. But, but yeah, we won. We ended up winning two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and and it became a powerhouse school in baseball. And then about five years after I left in twenty fourteen, they started. It made the transition to football and became a powerhouse of, of football. And uh, mm-hmm. I think they've won uh, four or five, a rather uh, five, a football three out of, you know, six years in a row or, or whatever, 50% in a really short span. And I believe they're in the, you know, I went to a game this year. I, I you know, I, I, sadly, I work too much, so I don't follow too much high school sports, <laughs> but that's probably because I don't have kids yet. I'm sure I will when I have children. But uh, no, they're they're still a powerhouse school, and then uh, baseball and football, but more so and more recently, football. Yeah, and football. I mean, they they are very very dominating. I think Chris Hilton went there. Uh, that's I think that's the only player I know that went to Zachary. Uh, Boston Scott with the Philadelphia Eagles went to. Oh Zachary. yeah, yeah, Dang. yeah. Boston Scott. Oh yeah. 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 But we've had we've had a lot of good players. There's a guy there now that's a six seven freak of nature, wide receiver. I think he's committed to LSU. I need to remember his name because I just watched him. I was like, that guy is going to be – he's going to be Megatron at LSU because he was jumping over everything, catching balls. I believe he's a junior, and I could be wrong on that. I just know he was 17 years old, but he was he was jumping like a uh, a college – you know, he was jumping like Justin Jefferson uh, on a high school field, in, in my opinion, <laughs> at 6'7". Um, so you can imagine what that looks like. So I'm excited Damn. for him to get to LSU. Uh, but he he's a he's a recruit to uh, I believe he committed right before the season. Um, I need to I need to know these guys' names, but I'm so far removed and so caught up with the uh, with the real world that yeah, I, real uh, life. Yeah. I don't follow it. Yeah, I yeah. followed it way more when I was playing. When I was playing, I knew everybody, but that was part of it, man. Every time I you know I'm the old guy, I meet the new the freshmen. I gotta the walk ons, whoever it is, I gotta go say hello and you know represent LSU and be a captain and be a leader and. Uh, but once once you leave, kind of the door closes and you and you move on with life, and that's the it, it kind of sucks. But at the same time, uh, you know that's how that's how life is, right? It goes on. Yep, Matt, you got anything else for that phase, the the past? Uh, I wanted to ask too, like, and I'm sure people have asked you about this before, but the decision making process of going from baseball back to LSU like usually you don't you know that transition just is unique I think to your you know career and so what was the decision making going from the transition from baseball back to football when you decided to go back to LSU Um, it it was more or less um, so I got done with baseball I I tried to stick around I, I took a couple opportunities to try out uh i wanted to play indie ball but then i realized like what am i really doing man my arm doesn't have it like it used to just the most basic things like recovery times my arm weren't good i still had the 94 95 mile an hour fastball but i I don't know what it was with my nerves and my my wrist and and shoulder but i would have really weird strange you know nerve and blood flow issues of my arm and i was like i don't see this being a um sustainable career anymore and uh, in the middle of, of struggling with allowing baseball to be done, 
uh, I was talking to my mom. She's like, well, and dad, really, both of them. Uh, they were like, well, Zach, you're still in, like, the best shape of your life. You're 25 years old. And, uh, yeah, you had seven years in baseball after high school. But what, are you just going to let them go to waste? What are you, you know, what are you going to do? And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, I need to, I need to do something. I, I did this for a reason. I knew I wanted to play pro ball. I, I that dream kind of ended. I just wasn't good enough. I didn't make the cut. And, um, I decided I was going to play quarterback at LSU. That was my original plan. Oh, and wow. then once I started training, I just was too, I was too far behind in the game, um, to, to play football. And I, I hadn't played it. It's quarterbacks very much like pitching. It's a feel deal. It's a, you need to feel playing quarterback and consistently do it to, to continue being good at it. Just like pitching. And uh, unless you throw a roll to Chapman velocity, but anyway, um, <laughs> once I lost that feel for the game at quarterback, I just, I, the writing was on the wall. Hey, I need to do something else. And that's where I made the transition to tight end, put on a bunch of weight that I didn't need to. Uh, Cause I was getting, I was never going to be an sec uh, tight end. Uh, it was probably should have realized that sooner. Cause I just wasn't cut out to, to block NFL D linemen. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, maybe I could have passed at, at, at McNeese or South, Southeastern, but it just was not going to be in the cars for me at LSU. And then um, made the transition all the way to to punting. And uh, part of that was because the guy got a, uh, the backup punter at the time, got a you know DUI. And um, I, was, I was able to capitalize on that unfortunate situation for him and, and become, uh, become the punter and, uh, or the backup punter, rather, for 2016. And then mm-hmm. a, year, a year later, our starting punter struggled a couple games and uh, I got another, I got a shot in game and kind of the rest is history after that. Um, and 2017, I was still raw. Uh, so I had my soccer leg a little bit. I had always kicked and been athletic my whole life. So once I really focused on it, it wasn't too hard to pick it back up. Uh, especially when you're in a good, good, uh, physical routine and, um, you, you keep that same work ethic and attitude. And, but once I really focused on it, I was able to, to move pretty quickly at, at being a great punter. And really my sophomore year was one of my best years. Uh, my junior year, it was, it was harder to punt my junior year because we scored too damn much. Uh, yeah. That was 19. And then 2020 was probably my best year. I think I had 27 or 28 punts inside the 20-yard line. Otherwise, my average would have been way higher uh, that year. Uh, I think I averaged like 44, 40, you know, something like that. But uh, I led the nation in punts inside the 20, and that was – you know, enough to get me an opportunity uh, with the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, again, I was very fortunate to to have all those opportunities. And, you know, it came to an end and that door shut at the ripe age of 31. Um, <laughs> but here I am now mm-hmm. talking to you guys and selling concrete and lumber and and uh, trying to trying to figure out my, my place in the world outside of sports. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so another just general question, were you there with, when Les Miles was there then, if you were in 2016? I, I was, I, uh, yeah. my first, uh, my first season was, 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 was with Les Miles and he yeah. called me Van Valkenburg. He did not Van know Bal- my name. He did not wow. know my name. Nice. He knew me as Van Valkenburg and actually my, my first punt attempt, he screamed my name wrong. And that's why I didn't respond right away because he screamed, Van Valkenburg. <laughs> uh, I was like, who the hell is that? And it was me. So that was my first punt opportunity. I went out there with uh, tight end cleats on. I didn't even have kicking cleats on. And uh, my first punt was 54 yards uh, with tight end cleats on. Cannon. And that was, that was kind of a that was kind of a wrap with my uh, tight end career after that. Moved <laughs> uh, to so punting duties. That's right. Uh, exactly. On to punting duties, no doubt. So what's uh, the biggest difference, I guess, because I've always been curious about this too, is like the difference between a Les Miles-led locker room and a Coach Ogeron-led locker room. Because we've seen the videos of Coach O giving a pep talk, you know, and they have, you know, definitely different coaching styles. Was there anything that stood out? when Coach O took over and was like, oh, this is going to be different than what we've had? Uh, so I would uh, – I'm going to preface this by saying I love both both coaches. Um, and I – you know, Coach O is the one who actually gave me the shot uh, that I got to punt. 
Uh, but Les Miles was a little laid back for a coach in the SEC, in my opinion. Oh, and yeah. it did work for him. I can't sit here and say it didn't because players love Coach Miles. And he did win a national championship at LSU. So he did have a, a formula that worked at, at one time. But whenever I was there, it was a little it was a little too much player driven, if you will. It was too much. Yeah, the game is about the players and the game is won by players. But you have to have better structure and and organization than he had, in my opinion. I mean, we went from like three and a half hour, four hour practices, it seemed like. To Coach O, we would knock out everything we needed to knock out in two and a half, two hours or less. I mean, when, right. I'll tell you a story about Coach O. Before we played uh, Oklahoma in the semifinal, they practiced their absolute full amount of time. But Coach O knew, and he had advice, I'm sure, from Jack Marucci and other people, hey, we're guys are tired, we've been grinding them the whole year. Like, we're going to win this game, no problem. Give them some rest. We took, like, I want to say three whole practices off. Like we could have practiced three more times than we actually did. And instead of that, we just watched extra film and, you know, we even took lifts off like just to rest because Coach O knew how brutal, you know, playing in the SEC and how banged up we were leading into that semifinal game. Well, obviously we kicked the shit out of Oklahoma. And I'm oh, yeah. dead serious. We were well rested. And that's why we looked so dominant against Oklahoma because everybody had fresh legs and they looked dead. They looked insanely dead compared to us and we noticed it in the second quarter and they were getting tired in the third quarter and they were already having to come down from like four touchdowns um so he coach o was was more structured more organized and, and I, he would lean on his coaches uh a lot more than less would less wanted to be more hands-on not and not that that's a problem it's mm-hmm. just i felt like we were a little more organized uh and and calculated under Coach O. Guys weren't late to meetings under Coach O. I'll leave it at that. Right, like, right. That was kind of an issue we had under Les. Uh, a lot of guys were, were late, and uh, it just it, it messed with the structure of everything. You can't have guys being late to the, the 2 o'clock meeting or one thirty meeting right after right after school. It's, not a, it's kind of an unacceptable start to the day uh, of football practice. Yeah. That's right. That's pretty refreshing to hear just because the I feel like the opinion of Coach O has gone down so much since, you know, after going through his last two seasons. And so hearing that, I mean, that's that's refreshing to hear just because um it's like he took us to a national championship. People hate on him so much, but yeah, like what yeah. he did for LSU. Um and going off of that, this is just, you know, a basic question, but the transition, well, what have you seen as from being on the inside? What do you think has been the biggest change going from Coach O to Brian Kelly now from what you've seen? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say because there was such a cleaning of the house after after Coach O left. I will mm-hmm. say it's not, or it was not in the, you know, very beginning stages as inviting to ex players as I was in the midst of, of trying to continue my NFL career and still training at LSU uh, and working out in the weight room with other, other guys that are currently in the NFL. And they essentially kicked us all out of their weight room, which Dang. is the most bizarre thing ever. So they wow. kind of put a sour taste in my mouth uh, at the very beginning of being kicked out of a locker or out of a weight room that I was literally working out of just a few, you know, recently under coach O and, uh, and look, I get it. You're cleaning house, you're changing up at the culture and do it all this and that. But I, I just never really, um, that didn't resonate well with me. And that again, new regime, new rules, new everything. And I think they're trying to like make amends now, but I got, that was kind of really what made me hang it up. Uh, not that, I mean, at 31 years old, what am I really going to do? I, it was already hard enough being a 31-year-old rookie in the NFL, but I kind of it kind of forced my hand a little bit of, you know, moving on from trying to play in the NFL because I was like, you know what, this is a, this is kind of a sign to me. If I can't work out where I worked out at my last since 2015 uh, playing football, and now I'm getting kicked out of it in 2021, uh, I was like, you know what, it's just time to move on, Zach, and, and find something else. And again, they're I think they're trying to make amends and they've been very inviting since then. 
especially in the last like few months, like I've people have literally texted me saying, Hey, when are you going to come back? Da 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 da. Cause I think it got such a bad yeah. rap and I'm not going to name players. I'm not going to name other players who definitely were pissed off. Um, right. But it kind of was like, all right, this is kind of weird, dude. This is this culture around LSU has always been about X players. I can't tell you how many X players came and saw us uh, and and spoke to us during the 2019 run and the 2018 run. Just about, especially 2019. 2019 was insane. We probably had a hundred X players come through the facility and not necessarily talk all of them, but a lot. Of, I mean, Duke Riley. I'm trying to think. Jamal Adams. A bunch of a bunch of X players were coming in weekly on their bye weeks. You know, wanting to be a part of that run, wanting to be about a part of the the you know the streak, if you will, of us going fifteen and what fifteen and oh, that just tells you how much hype and how much excitement there was around that. Uh, but the culture changed under under uh, Brian Kelly, and I'm not saying it's for the worse, but I was saying it it, it kind of made people scratch their head and say, all right, why you, why are you doing some things? Um, but again, it. it it is what it is, and and decisions were made. And I, I guess when he was first put to the task, he was asked to clean house, and that's what he did. Yeah, and right. So he checked that box, if if you will. <laughs> yeah, I, me- um, I remember there was a there was a bunch of uh, like people on that staff there that, that were there for like twenty years, like Tommy Moffat. He was on the staff, and when they let him go, I was like, man, that's Tommy Moffat. So he's such a great coach too. Staple. Yeah, Coach Moffat. He was. I mean, he's a legend. He, you know. Every national championship team that wasn't 1958 was Coach Moffitt's team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I want to say Saban after uh, when he came back to Alabama. I can't remember what year that was. We'll call it 2005. No, no, no. It was like 2007. Um, he basically told Moffitt, "Hey, here's a blank check. How much do you want?" And I want to say that year um, Moffitt got like matching the highest uh, salary of any strength coach in the country because mm-hmm. Saban gave him a blank check and said, how much to get you in, in Tuscaloosa? And he was like, oh, my family got kids and, and a Catholic got, you know, my family ingrained in, in Baton Rouge. I just don't want to leave. And that was ultimately why, why he didn't leave uh, under less. But uh, no, I mean, Nick Saban want you is a pretty big deal. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. huge. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's huge. Um. Last question about well, I, I want to talk about the Alabama game because that's the you know big thing kind of that's been overshadowing the last two weeks. But when the weather starts getting colder, do you start getting the itch to kick some footballs, or you more of a you throwing the ball more, or how does that go? I'll be honest with you, I've been playing basketball more than any of those. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, just okay. because of the cardio, so I've been told I need to start playing pickleball. Uh, oh, but I bro. play basketball more than it there, more than baseball and more than football. Uh, but no, I'm my kicking days are over, man. My hip and my shoulder are about through with all that. So uh, I'll stick to shooting some hoops and uh, <laughs> apparently playing pickleball. Yeah. Oh, need yeah. To oh, I yeah. need to get better at some golf. But, um, oh, yeah. you know, that's a work in progress, I guess. <laughs> um. All right. So looking ahead, we are days away from probably the biggest game of this weekend. Um. Alabama, this to me, and we'll, you know, I definitely want to get your take on it. Seems like this to me seems like the most beatable Alabama has looked in a long time. Last year they had Bryce Young, and I was terrified of him. Um, like, I didn't think that game was going to go the way it did. And we, we carved him up. Like, our offense was really good, and our offense is humming right now. Our offense looks better, you know the best it's been in the past few years here. So um, what's your take on this Alabama game? What do you think we need to do to probably our defense is the weakest point. So (laughs) what do we need to do defensively to defend what Alabama is going to be bringing on Saturday? You got to force Miller to throw the football. Um, Right. I know that sounds bad because our secondary is not, hasn't shown a lot of, uh, you know, grit or resilience or whatever you want to call it. Um, and we've kind of been picked apart in games, but you got to force Miller, Miller to throw it. You need him to be in that pocket, setting his feet and throwing the football. Well, hopefully not setting his feet, hopefully getting a pass. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But you need him throwing the ball just because he's been inaccurate a lot of times. And I feel like he's a much bigger threat running. Um, 
And look, hey, it's going to be a high-scoring game. Uh, I think it's going to be the same as 2019. I think we got to score 45 points to win. Uh, right. That score of 2019 shouldn't have been uh, 46-41, whatever it was, but it should have been more like 46-35. But I think we have to score that 45-point mark to win the game uh, in Tuscaloosa this year. I do think they're they're going to come out that bye week coming just because of how we beat them in, in the fashion that we beat them last year. And Nick Saban is uh, there's a reason he put the bye week before LSU because he knew we were the biggest threat in the SEC. He's yeah. not stupid, um, so he's gonna he's gonna come out on offense ready to roll, and they're gonna have some some plays and things schemed up that we haven't seen before. And I mm-hmm. think they're gonna score at least 38 points, which means you got to score 45. Right, score yeah. 45. Yeah. Score more That's than seven more. Yeah, we we gotta we gotta put up some points, and the the only way this is a low scoring game is if the refs get too involved. But I see this game going through the roof point wise. I get, I mean, I I don't want to say I hate predicting fifty points by either team, but I could see either team scoring fifty points. Um, it's just gonna come down to you know the big plays. If how many big places each team have, and we had a lot of those in twenty nineteen, and um, the more big plays, the 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 more you know high scoring the game, but I think I think it's like a 45-41 type game, something like that. Yeah. Right. That's how it was last year, too. I mean, it went into overtime, so. Um, but it was yeah. low scoring before it went into overtime. It, was, it wasn't, it was I forgot what it went into overtime, like 21-21 or. I think, I think, or it, was, I think it was, I think it was 24-24. Yeah, 24-24, okay. right. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I guess that's still high scoring. It, it did finish with us going for two, but. um I think I don't think it's gonna be twenty twenty four or twenty four twenty four in regulation. It should be way more high score than that. Uh, they've been they've been having issues on both sides of the ball, and the only side of the ball we haven't had issues is defense, or excuse me, yeah. offense rather. Sorry, uh, yeah. that backwards, but our offenses looked, I mean, as good as I've seen it since twenty nineteen. Uh, Jaden is an absolute weapon, and every week he he becomes a higher and higher draft prospect, and. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if he's the Heisman front runner, but he should be. And he's going to put up points on them. And um, I hope he doesn't have to run as much. Uh, he probably will because that's yeah. how, you know, he loves yeah. running. I he just don't puts want himself. him to because I, I just him want him getting, to slide. Like, yeah. Yeah. Him getting, him getting hit against Alabama players is a little different than getting hit by Missouri players. I'm just saying. Uh, oh, yeah. Their players are a little bit bigger, more physical. Uh, it's going to be an SEC game. And they're going to be ready to hit somebody, uh, both teams. Yeah. But uh, I hope he's able to rush for forty, throw for three fifty. <laughs> but it's yeah. more, more going to be like he rushes for eighty, passes for almost three hundred. Uh, right. But we'll, we'll we'll see how that ends up. Yep. Yeah. Rest is. Oh, you had a question, Matthew? Yeah, it, it's going to be the final game on CBS with uh, Brad Nestler and Gary Danielson. Oh yeah! So- Thank God, dude. Holy smokes! I yeah, hate so. Gary Danielson. I don't know if you've listened to him much, Zach, but he sucks. <laughs> I be honest with you, I sometimes just turn on ninety eight one with the uh with the game on. It's the radio station here that covers LSU it's the LSU Sports Network. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I I'll just turn I put the T V on mute uh and just listen to the radio while I'm watching it because sometimes it's a little ahead too, uh usually. So I get I can get excited before the play happens. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's if, cool. if I don't do that, then I'll uh, I may go to a friend's house and watch the game. I don't. I'm not sure yet. We'll see. Um. Obviously, this game will be. It'll mean more to to the end of the season. But looking ahead, Florida and Texas A and M later down the line here. Do you have any thoughts on those games at all? Florida hasn't looked great here lately, but they're always a threat. Like both of those teams give us fits like every year so <laughs> I, I think uh florida's coach will gun for us um because he didn't get hired or even really an opportunity to get hired at lsu so right, that'll be a right. circle, that'll be a circle game for him he'll circle that one on his little he probably already did at the beginning of the season but i don't see him making it through next year i don't know if y'all checked out his uh schedule next season but as of right now i want to say seven of the teams he plays next season are in the top 15 ranking right now. So Ooh, he is by far the Ooh. hardest schedule I've ever seen. Like they play Georgia, they play us, they play Alabama, they play like dude their schedule is absolutely brutal. I could be wrong with the Alabama one, but 
I know for sure they play Florida State. Florida plays Florida State and Miami next year. They oh, play man. Georgia. They play us. You got, you got to look at the schedule. It's the worst schedule I think I've ever seen. The only schedule that, that I can relate it to is when we played everybody in 2019. That's right. how their schedule is uh, for, for next year. So I don't see him making it uh, through next season. That, I, I say three wins on their schedule at most next year if you look at it oh yeah wow. there it's yeah, yeah they, georgia they get, they, florida state kentucky ole miss texas A&M. yeah texas tennessee oh yeah texas that's i'm sorry I, that's right not miami it's texas they have to play texas that's who yeah. it was no that they, they still play they, they still play miami that's going to be on oh, august 31st yeah they play ucf so. too so yeah look at their schedule tell me a win Get me over three wins with that schedule. Look at it and get me over three wins. Yeah. I can't. Oh. UC, UCF and Mississippi State are the only Sam, Sanford. Yeah, That's Sanford. Easy win. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, didn't, didn't they? Didn't they? Didn't they lose to Sanford a couple of years ago? I, I think they did. Or they, they or lost the to somebody. Or the, or the score was way too close. But regardless, you look at that schedule. You can't tell me that's not the most brutal regular season God. schedule. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, A and M. You think they're gonna fire Jimbo Fisher? Uh, with to the me, buyout, it's where like it's at? what is it now? Like fifty million, I think. Yeah, that yeah. Arch, it's down to fifty million. I think they give him one more year just to get that buyout down a little more. But if he suffers next year, they're absolutely gonna they're gonna buy him out. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, it's I crazy, like. His talent that he recruits is so good, but and also I, I uh, saw on another podcast the other day they were talking about how this is a normal like A and M has historically won nine games and that's like the best they could ever do. Other than when they had Johnny Manziel, they won nine games almost every year, and that's what he's doing. So it's like, do you want more than what? Like this is the standard for A and M, but I mean lately they have been real bad and um i think the only thing holding them back from getting rid of them is that buyout which is hefty we'll have to be yeah. watching the price of oil here soon because yeah that might be uh yeah part of it. yeah you get that oil price rise from this war in the middle east you might get a buyout early <laughs> yeah uh, oh yeah but uh no i i think they give them one more year just because who you're gonna get right now um yeah i guess you could, uh, it's too much of a risk. He's got he he had that one year during COVID where they think I think they went ten and one. Yeah, they were, uh, mm-hmm. and that was their one year uh, with uh, forgot that quarterback Mon Kellen Mon Kellen Mon. They yeah. were decent that year, um, but how much of a leash do you give them going into? Because the biggest problem is look at what Florida's going through right now. The growing pains of transitioning. You know you're going to get nine wins out of him. And look at Nebraska as well. Nebraska is getting nine wins, and they got pissed at uh, our – Bo Pelini. Yeah, Bo Pelini. They got pissed and fired him, and now look where they're at. <laughs> they're yeah, having just... to go seven and five now. Uh, so college football is different in the sense that you need stability in your program in order to thrive. And Clemson's saying, go fire Debo Sweeney. And look, I get it, but – you're going to have instability in the program. He's going to come in and hire all new people. And I do think that um, we've done okay here um, stabilizing the program, but we, we ha- still have a long way to go. Uh, right. Next year will be year, year three um, for Kelly, and he has a lot to prove next year. Uh, and without Jaden, it's going to be tough. But the good news is for Kelly, he's got Nussmeyer, who I think is just as good as Jaden, just can't run like Jaden. Right. Um, so I think I think Kelly's in a good spot. I don't think A and M is in a good spot if they get rid of uh, Jimbo. I think they lose a lot of recruits, and I think it becomes a lot more chaotic situation. Um, but you know, oh, who am I to judge? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think they should. Yeah. I don't think A and M should fire him yet. Uh, but but money talks, and who knows if they're already fed up with him. Uh, right. But but we'll see. Yep. Any other questions, Matt? So I wanted to ask you this before. Um, so you play for Greg McMahon, and Greg McMahon, I'm known as like one of the greatest like special teams coaches. Uh, what was it like playing for him and stuff? Uh, he he is very much an NFL style coach. He how do I say this? He he treats you like a professional player, which is a good thing. 
and uh, it gave me the perspective of the of the NFL I needed to have to play in the NFL. I just wasn't, you know, I, I hate to say this, if I could do it over again, I probably would have accepted my extra COVID year. Uh, but I came out because I was like, man, I'm I'm 31 years old and I'm shaking hands with 17 year old freshman. This is getting a little awkward. <laughs> so I made that decision. I was like, you know what? I'm good enough to play in the NFL. And um, coming out with that COVID year, it was it was tough because a lot of teams weren't keeping extra specialists because they weren't they were getting two extra roster spots during that year. But the two extra roster spots are filled with position players, skill players, or or you know linebackers, whatever maybe whatever your depth uh, demanded. Um, but I do wish I could have waited an extra year uh, to, to come out. But Greg is, is very much an NFL-style coach, and he was very professional. He was very uh, – schematically, I would say he's a dinosaur, but it, he's the epitome of if it's not broke, don't fix it. So he – that's why we're always good. He's like, why am I going to try and do things when I know I'm going to have a top 15 special teams unit? I think in right. 2018 when Cole Tracy was there, we were the second-best special teams unit in the country. Don't quote me on that, but I know we were top five for sure. Uh, the right. year Cole, Cole Tracy was here. Uh, overall, like you know, kicking, punting, uh, field goals, we were we we're definitely top five. I think 2019 we were top ten. I think top 20 we were top ten again. Uh, the only year we kind of struggled a little bit, and that was partly because I wasn't comfortable punting yet. Was 2017? We we definitely struggled in special teams, you know. But 2018, 2019, 2020, we were rolling um, special teams on. We had Blake Ferguson, NFL, oh, yeah. Aid York, got drafted. And then I was I was punting and I was, you know, fortunate enough to be uh doing doing well. And I, I made a good transition. I'm glad I wasn't a tight end. I'll say that. I, I'm glad <laughs> oh, yeah. I made the switch and uh was was blessed to be all SEC and and, and make some things happen and, and Kay was able to shine and make him a couple million dollars in the NFL. Um and obviously Blake Blake's still with the Miami Dolphins. So it was it was a good three years and a good good run we had uh, there on special teams. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, still talk with Kate? I just saw he was on the Titans. I thought he was playing for the Browns, but I guess he got traded or signed with the he Titans. Got, he, got, he got released right at the beginning of the year. He had some struggles in camp, uh, but I th he's definitely getting another shot. He's got too freakish of a leg and too yeah, he's of, so good. Uh, yeah, he's gonna make he's gonna make it. He just he just needs to you know. Get, he needs to be a professional, okay? Not that he wasn't in Cleveland, but I think the the being cut was a great wake up call for him in the sense that he realized how precise and how perfect. Not that you need, you know, perfection is impossible, but at the same time, kickers are, are definitely held to an unfair standard in the NFL. I mean, <laughs> kicking at eighty, I think the what is it the the rate you need to have in the NFL to feel safe at your job is eighty five percent. That yeah. includes kicking fifty yard field goals. So 85%, right. I'm not saying it's not possible because dudes do it, half the league does it every year. But even if I trained my entire life as a lefty, kick, a lefty kicker, I don't know if I could have achieved that in any year. I'm too. I'm also lanky. I'm not 5'10". It's way different ballgame for kickers and punters. You want to be big as a punter, you want to be smaller as a kicker, uh, just, just for whatever reason. But anyway, I don't know if I could achieve that that accuracy 85 percent is kind of a margin of just like how does it if you and all you have to do is look at the historical stats uh back in the 80s it was like 79 percent like you're elite like wow you're such a great morton anderson look at his stats yeah Not, i think only one year only yeah. one year was he 88 percent or something and don't and he's considered one of the greatest kickers of all time i'm not oh, knocking yeah. old times but kickers now are held such a to such a ridiculous standard and it, it's warranted because guys have gotten better. I get it. When the old greats, the all-time greats of, of pro football or average percent is 82%, and now it's the demand is 85, it's kind of ridiculous. Um, that just tells you how far we've come uh, with kicking as a craft, uh, which, I mean, it makes sense. But at the same time, I would hate to be a kicker. I'd much rather be a punter. Yeah, so much right. stress. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Uh anything else, Matthew? Uh I think that's that's pretty much it. I, got I had one. Uh your mustache when you were 
donning the mustache walked so Paul Skeens could run. Because every time I see Paul Skeens in a mustache, I'm like, that looks exactly like ZVR back in the day, you know, when you were <laughs> oh yeah on the sidelines. So just I can't to... I can't say that on Twitter. I can't say I did it first because it's Skeens was the first overall draft pick, but I definitely <laughs> did it first in terms of like uh, and LSU. Then, you know, being a picture at LSU of like a mustache. I saw that picture when I was on the sideline with my arms crossed. I've seen that picture. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. From 2018. I think I took that photo in 2018, maybe 2019. But regardless, I saw it for a couple of years uh, until Paul, Paul, you know, had it. But he <laughs> he was throwing 100. I wasn't throwing 100, right? It's a little different, <laughs> it's a little different ball game there. Yeah. Um, all righty. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, this was awesome. Great to talk to a national champion, our first national champion. And, That's um, true. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, brother. No problem. Yeah, thank Thanks, you, man. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Y'all have a good one. Yeah, you, you too. too. Whoosh, yeah. Whoosh. All right. Once again, we appreciate Zach von Rosenberg coming on. Um, great interview with him. That was first national champion and our first um, Wikipedia uh, holder, I guess, or Wikipedia <laughs> page. I don't even know how you would say that, Matthew, but... First guy with a Wikipedia page is a better way to work oh, yeah. that. So, official. Um, official. yeah, it was a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll uh, maybe get him back on towards the end of the season in retrospect. Um, let's talk about the Saints, Matthew, because we've talked a lot of smack about this Saints team, and then they keep winning games. So, of course, they they win games, and then they – I remember the, the week after we – like went nuclear on them. They won their Sunday game and then we lost to was it the Jaguars maybe or we just let me see. Let me pull up their schedule. So I don't look incompetent here. Let's see. Uh yeah, we went nuclear on them after we lost to the Bucks and they destroyed the Patriots. And then we lost to the Texans. And then uh, we lost to the Jags on Thursday night football and we just beat the Colts. So not very consistent. Um, but I mean, it's so hard to judge because it seems like the offense is starting to put things together, but you still, you're still seeing Derek Carr lose his absolute mind on the sideline. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh yeah. Just not much consistency at all. You had a great. What were you saying before we hit record? Talking about what Dennis Allen was saying after the game. Well, no, this was this was actually a while back. This was mm. in last year after the uh, Cardinals when Andy Dalton threw another interception. They asked, yeah. uh, they asked Dennis Allen like, uh, so what's gonna so about like about like what happened? And he said, we'll make adjustments. Just yeah. that's all he said. Yeah, I just said this guy is just and, an idiot. Right, just saying, but and sometimes. It's like, to me, that's coach speak. And sometimes coach speak works when you do make adjustments. But when it seems like you don't, you're not making adjustments at all, then coach speak doesn't work. You know what I mean? It's like the fans aren't going right. to just take to that when they're not seeing any adjustments on the field. Unfortunately, um, the thing that sucks about this whole situation is where the division is still attainable. We're four and four and... If we win one game and the Falcons lose one, we're leading the division on a like That's right, yeah. batting 500. So it's like, dude, I I want to just stop watching and be like, okay, let's tank and get good draft picks. But when the division is this attainable and NFC doesn't look stupendous, I mean, there's some good teams, Seahawks, 49ers, Eagles, you know, those are the scary teams. But you look at the Packers, Bears, these other Cardinals, Rams, Commanders, Giants—disgusting. We could beat all of those teams Horrible. if we if we're oh, yeah. you know if we're playing good football. Panthers, Buccaneers—it's like uh, it's just so hard to to follow because you want us to start pulling away, and we're still kind of early in the season. We're about a third of the way through, so there's still games to be played, but. Um, yeah, man, this is just unfortunate. And um, actually, I think we're more than a third of the way through. 
Let's see. One, two. It's like week seven. Four, five, week six, eight. seven, eight, nine. Nine more games left. Week nine. Week nine. Oh, yeah. okay. No, wait. wait. Nine, nine more games. Yeah, nine more, nine, nine more games. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man. We are in week nine, actually. You were right. So. Week nine. Um, so, yeah, man. I just, it's just tough. Um, and hopefully we can start figuring things. I mean, obviously, I say hopefully we start figuring things out like we didn't. Like, Taysom had two touchdowns. Derek Carr had two. Oh, Rashid, Taysom went off in that game, though. Yeah, Rashid Shahid has three receptions for 153 yards. Uh, that's, that's unreal. That's, like, that's, that's Randy Moss Thanksgiving yeah. numbers against yeah. the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. Alvin Kamara is starting to get in the mix, too. And to me, it's like this personnel, I keep saying it, I probably said it every week, this personnel is too good to be wasting it right now. Like Taysom Hill, Alvin Kamara, Jamal Williams, he's a solid running back. He led what, it was like he led the league in touchdowns last year, I think, or maybe yards overall. Rashid Shahid, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, like those are stud, like a stud offensive core. And we needed stability in Derek Carr. And beginning of the season, we did not have that stability. So hopefully um, they can figure something out. And to me, like this past game, if Derek Carr can get us to the red zone, let Taysom Hill drive the car from there and get into the end zone. Taysom will get Derek Carr to get us to the red zone and Taysom Hill to drive us to the end zone. That's the right. That should be the strategy. So, but, um, other than that, I don't have much on the saints. Um, Joe Burrow. Bengals. Bengals. Yeah. Dude. Hey, they're back, man. Um, they're back. Speaking of, we didn't even ask. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't ask. ask I was going to ask him too. And I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Zach Conn Rosenberg. What was it like playing with Joe Burrow? <laughs> yeah. We didn't ask him one question. And I, and I, I asked him. <laughs> I asked him what was I playing for Greg McMahon. Like, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's over, fine. I mean, like, yeah. Damn yeah. it, man. <laughs> oh, well. I, I mean, like it's, it's like, you know, it'll be all right. We're not experts. We're just interested. Um, but, yeah, he yeah. seems to be back. He's playing well. Um, and they've, you know, they're doing okay as as our surrogate team. Because they're definitely a team to watch when, um, you know, when uh, our teams suck. They've got the Bills this week coming to Cincinnati, so that'll be a big prove-it game. They beat the 49ers, though, and 49ers are a good team in the NFC. So, speaking of the 49ers, they got uh, freaking Chase, Chase Young. Young, dude. Holy smokes. That's uh, That was pretty crazy. As long um, as he can stay healthy, as long as he stays healthy, yeah. You got Joey Bosa and Chase Young coming at you. It's yeah. It's not really something you want. It's a quarterback's nightmare. No, yeah. Um, other than that, I don't really feel like there's so much that's already been covered in the NFL, and this is secondhand sports. You know, not experts. We're just interested. This is the probably the third or fourth sports podcast you'll listen to. But Josh McDaniels getting fired. After what two years on the Raiders? Like yeah, two years barely. Yeah, um, that was you know just interesting. I think he was doing a terrible job. All of his players hate him. You talk to the you hear about um, from former players of his. They don't like him because he tries to do the the Bill Belichick way and can't you know put his money where his mouth is. So lots right. of players it's, do it, not like him. But yeah. it's just interesting. So I mean, it's crazy because he was the head coach of the Broncos. He got fired after the second season for uh, he did something like Spygate with the Broncos. He got fired from there. Went back to New England for like I say eight years, eight years back in Foxborough as the offensive coordinator. And then it's like, okay, well, eight years have gone by, and it's like he's learned a lot. Well, Raiders go and hire him, and then he just sucks with the Raiders. Yeah. So then he gets fired, and uh. I'm guessing if Belichick is still there next year, 
He'll probably bring Josh McDaniels back. I, maybe. Yeah, I think maybe so. as wide receiver coach or quarter because I mean you already have you already have O'Brien if he makes it next year. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't doubt. I don't it. know. That seems to be what happens to those. It's like it happened with the the guy that was on the Lions, Matt Patricia. Matt he Patricia. went back like they. It's like they eventually they leave the nest and then they have to come back home for. You know. Yeah. The end of their career like, or whatever. Yeah. It, it, it's like none of the Belichick assistants, like Matt Patricia, Josh McDaniels, Brian Flores, uh, it was some guy Brian Dable, and but it was the guy Joe Judge, he, they coached the Giants. They uh they just have never worked out in the NFL. Yeah, I mean Eric Mangini. It's like Belichick's one of the greatest coaches of all time, yet all of his all of his assistant coaches who have become head coaches just sucked in the NFL. Yeah, which yep. is crazy because it's like. It's like in college football, Nick Saban has all these, you know, great assistants, Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart, um, you know, that have won national championships. And for some reason, yeah. It's yeah. just weird. It's I don't yeah. know. Be all right. Um another anything else for NFL? Talk a little bit about NBA because Zion is back. Um How about that? Uh- did you get, did you get to watch the game against the uh, against the Warriors? No, uh, uh-uh. no, because they're the TV deal is like I can't just put on the game. You have to be you have to have the Bally Sports, whatever. That was the only thing I was talking about. I was going to talk about the Pelicans because you ahead. have to have the Bally Sports thing that costs whatever. I don't even know how much it costs. It's a lot, and you have to basically illegally stream the game to even watch it. So, right. Did you watch right. the game? I didn't watch it. I mean, yeah. I'm going to watch it you can't. on TV. Right. Exactly. I, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to go through all my business to try to stream it. I'd rather just watch it on TV. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I am a fan of the Pelicans. I'm not a diehard fan like you are, but you oh. know, I'm a big fan of Zion. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. He's healthy. He'll uh, lead, he'll lead Pelicans to a championship. Yeah. We'll have to see what all, uh, what was that guy's name? Cheating NBA ref. Tim Donahue. Oh, we'll have to see what he says about... Uh, I should clip that in, him saying, your friend Zach was right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> um, Yeah. Zion is back. And listen, as long as he's playing... I think the Pelicans are going to be good. They're getting crushed by the Thunder right now, 44 to 24. But if he's playing, then they're good. I just don't think it's sustainable because he is such a, like his, he's such an anomaly. His anatomy is such an anomaly (laughs) is a better way to word that. Um, And so, yeah, same thing with women. Yama, that dude has been going nuts. Like, he has been a true difference maker for the Spurs, and he just looks like like he's definitely strong on the court, but um, he just looks skinny and like he's somebody's gonna break him. So, um, but yeah, that's listen. We're not experts; we're just interested. We don't talk about mm-hmm. NBA very much on this uh, podcast, so. Um, Anything else, Matthew? Uh, Bobby Knight, R.I.P. Oh yeah, forgot about that. R.I.P. The legend. It, I would hate to be a chair around Bobby Knight because he'll probably throw it. Yep. But uh, yeah, he's he's one of the. I think he's honestly, I think he's the greatest basketball coach to ever. Um, you know, coach college basketball. He was at India. He he played at. See where he played at. He played. He played at Ohio State, but he uh, he coached at Army. He co- He was the head coach at Army, head coach in Indiana, and he where he saw a lot of success. He won three national championships as a head coach. Went to five Final Fours and won eleven Big Ten. Had won eleven Big Ten uh, championships. Uh, I mean, all time legend. 
uh, he's he was known for a lot of other stuff as well that you know happened off the court. Uh-huh. And there's a, there's a there's a list, but but I will tell you like <laughs> one of the greatest coaches of all time. Right on the court, sure. great guy on the court. On the court, not at practice, but on you know during games. Oh yeah, great guy, oh, yeah. great guy during games when people are there watching. Awesome guy. Other than that, um, yeah, man, that about does it for me. Um, anything else? Exciting game for Alabama, man. I'm pumped. So we'll do a recap probably next week for that and uh, preview Florida too because that's going to be a big game. So it'll be exciting couple of football games coming up here, Matthew. Oh, yeah. Probably not going to beat any of them. Oh, really? Sadly. Dang. Yeah, I'm not. We're going. We're going to a wedding in Fort Worth for oh. a Florida game. Oh. Weddings in the fall. Yep. Unbelievable. It, it's in Fort Worth. Uh, this one was actually okay because it's not Alabama. Yeah, that's true. Florida stinks. So. Yeah. All righty. Well. Thank you all for listening once again. We appreciate each and every single one of you guys. Um, once again, thanks ZVR for coming on the pod. And um, yeah, we surely hope you enjoyed. And we will see y'all next time. Whoosh. Go Tigers. <laughs>